0: You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. I need touch Give yourself. I've got a beer. the
1: crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out. The Wave an ultrasonic aggravate and a pulsating tape. I want a magic pill for my ailments, the health equivalent to citizen cane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem
0: for my disease, so I'm paging Doctor Steve. Steve.
1: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio. No, I'm podcast. I'm Doctor Steve. This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347 head Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor. Nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, whatever. So, about, you know, after 14 years, it's probably time I changed that opening script. But uh, until then... Check out stuff.drsteve.com. You just have a few shopping days left till Christmas, don't you know? Or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. What is Boxing Day? It's some Canadian thing. Does that mean you take all of the stuff you got for Christmas and put it in a box? Or do you make boxes for people less fortunate than yourself? I do not know. And I have Canadian friends, and I had one of them who was Lana from Canada. Who uh longtime listeners of this show know uh, was trying to get uh healthcare in Canada and having a really hard time with it. I do get some Canadians that say, hey, our Canadian health system is awesome. And then I get people like her saying it's complete horseshit. So I think it obviously it's context driven. You know, if you have an emergency or if you have something non threatening, uh uh, that you can wait for, it's great because it's free. But uh, there are some people that fall in between that really are having a hard time with it. And that's, you know, if we adopted something like that in this country, we'd have to figure out a way, if it's even possible, uh, so that those folks, like Lana from Canada, will have her on the show at some point And uh, she can talk about her tale of woe. Anyway, uh, check out stuff.drsteve.com. Uh, You can go there, you can click straight through to Amazon if you like, or you can scroll down and find all the different products that we've talked about on this show, some medical, some not. And uh, if uh, you need a stocking stuffer or something for an office, uh, Secret Santa TweakedAudio.com makes the best earbuds for the price and the best customer service anywhere. And if you use offer code FLUID, you get 33% off. This is not some BS, you know, get 5% off or, you know, 10 bucks off a $100 order. This is 33% off anything you buy. Tweakedaudio.com, offer code FLUID. And uh, check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. He's uh, got the um, nasal spray back in stock, I understand, and it is quite excellent. I need some right now myself. He's been out, and I've uh, my quality of life has uh, declined because of that. Um, yeah. Um, also, I understand that the Noom link on my website at drsteve.com was, has been broken for several months, and I didn't realize it. So if you tried to sign up for Noom, And uh, it didn't take you straight there, and you got an error message. I apologize. I don't know how it happened. I just uh, transcribed the link incorrectly once. But go to Noom. I make it easy so you can just type it in. But if you want to click on the link, go to drsteve.com. And on every uh, podcast, you can click Noom.drsteve.com, and you can attain your ideal body weight with me. It's a psychology app, not a diet app. Uh, there's no points, and it's a three month program. I've stayed with it for a, a year now, but you don't have to. You could just do three months, and uh, you can continue to use the app afterward. You get a counselor, uh, you get weight tracking, uh, you do some weight log or uh, meal logging, so that you have some accountability with your counselor, and you also have a group and a group counselor. So. It's really a good deal. If you go to noom.drsteve.com, you get 20% off if you decide to do it. And you get two weeks free so you can just try it out and see what you think. Tell them Dr. Steve sent you. And if you're lazy as I am, uh, go to freshly.drsteve.com. That's F-R-E-S-H-L-Y.drsteve.com. They deliver fresh prepared meals that make eating right super easy. Use my link and get six dinners. For $39 for two weeks That's 20 bucks off each week uh, Give it a try, let me know what you think Look, it ain't for everybody I'm a lazy bastard And uh, I love to cook But during the week, you know, my kids now oh, my, You know, they've got so much crap going on After school And uh, one of the kids is in band And the other one's taking nothing but honors classes Even his advisor said What are you doing, dude So, uh, you know, there's just so much going on so it's really easy for me to just pop these things in the microwave. And um, uh, they, it looks like Lean Cuisines, except there's twice as much food in there, and it's, you know, freshly prepared. And uh, they're, they're really good. Now, it is microwave food, so it's not going to look like you cooked it in, in a pan. But its um, I'm, I'm very pleased with Freshly.DrSteve.com. And uh, last, um, go uh, to Premium.DrSteve.com and get archives of the show for a buck 99 a month. If you use the offer code fluid, it uh, gives you a 50% discount and you can just download everything and then unsubscribe. Or you can go to our website at drsteve.com and I can send you a um, flash drive. 32 gig fa- flash drive with about 17 gigs of uh, material on it. Um I had it. Another thing I wanted to tell you about: I just redid my garage. Now, if if you want to do a big project at home, go to SwissTracks dot com. Check this stuff out. This blew me away. I I was going to epoxy my uh, garage, and then I found SwissTracks dot com. There are these plastic tiles, and you just sit it. You they snap together. And they make the coolest garage floor you've ever seen. Just go, you know, just go to it, even if you're not interested in doing it. If you decide to do it, um, uh, tell, uh, use code Dr. Steve and you get 25% off with flat rate shipping. And if they give you any trouble at all, let me know because we're just getting uh, started with them. And, uh, I'm not sure everyone over there will know, but Jordan is the, um, person that I dealt with and they don't really have an affiliate code, but, uh, I was so impressed. I said, if I tell my listeners about it, you know, can they, can you get them a deal? So, uh, Swiss tracks, it's Swiss T-R-A-X, dot com, code Dr. Steve. Anyway. All right. Um, uh, enough of that. Thank you for indulging me with all these, uh, ads and stuff. And uh, it does help keep this going, by the way, and I really do appreciate you. Oh, by the way, malarkey, you know, say what you will about Joe Biden, but is it really, I mean, I guess because of uh, Opie and Anthony and their influence on this channel, which was a huge presence back in the day, uh, just a couple of years ago. And the word malarkey was thrown around quite a bit, and I think in an ironic way. So when I see Joe Biden using it, it's like well, I, we use that word every day. I talk about Dr. Scott's herbal malarkey on every single show. So I don't see the what all the hubbub is. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Um, oh, you know, I don't know that I ever did this story. Um, this is a good one. I think uh, very interesting. You know, people always talk about, well, you know, um, male birth control. Why do women have to do it? And uh, you know, no men can can participate in birth control. They can wear condoms. Of course, it 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 does affect the uh, the sensation of having intercourse when you're wrapping a barrier between the skin of the penis and the skin of whatever you're shoving it in. But, um, you know, here we go. So, you know, there is, uh, you know, it had been, you know, well, the 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 researchers are male. And so, of course, they come up with female birth control. Well, here's the answer. First male birth control injection almost ready. For penises. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, <laughs> we would take a pill. Um you know when a when a woman uses a regular barrier like a, a cervical cap, for example, it doesn't really affect their ability to uh, enjoy the act of intercourse, but wrapping a penis in latex or some of these other godforsaken um materials that they make uh, condoms out of now, you know, for, to uh, avoid latex allergy does affect it. So, um, you know, yeah, we would take a pill. Why if, is this just revenge? I don't know that we, now we have to, if we're going to have, you know, equal representation and birth control or men can take some control over this birth control thing, it has to be a shot in the nether regions. Well, let me read this article. Of course, this is from the New York Post, that really prestigious medical journal. But anyway, would men endure a shot in the groin to prevent pregnancy? Indian researchers think so. The Indian Council of Medical Research, a government-funded biomedical research agency, has successfully completed a clinical trial on an injectable male contraceptive, the Hindustan Times reported. The product is ready with only regulatory approvals pending from the government. Doctor R. S. Sharma, senior scientist with the ICMR, told the local news outlet. The trials are over, including extended phase three clinical trials, for which three hundred and three candidates were recruited with a ninety three point three uh no, sorry, ninety seven point three percent success rate, no reported side effects other than having a needle stuck in your genitals apparently. Product can safely be called the world's first male contraceptive. Well no condoms are the world's first male contraceptive but okay yeah uh, contraceptive medication maybe this birth control method which lasts approximately 13 years involves injecting a polymer called styrene maleic anhydride into the vas deferens. Okay so this really is a barrier method as well right? They're uh, injecting a um, plastic, basically, into the vas and just blocking it. Effectively blocking sperm from leaving the testicles. There you go. I'll give myself one of these. Give yourself a bill. The shot, so it's not a medication. It's a barrier method. Um, The shot, preceded by a dose of local anesthesia, well, I would hope so, is designed to supplant traditional vasectomy. Yeah, so this is just a basically a non-cutting vasectomy, and let's say well, it's not vasectomy because ectomy means cutting something away, and vasotomy would be cutting a hole in some in a vas, and so the, but this functions the same way, so that sperm cannot make it from the testicle out into the real world through the urethral meatus. Uh, researchers in the U.S. have developed a similar contraceptive called vasal gel, which has not yet been brought to market. A male birth control pill also exists, although researchers anticipate anticipated it'll be about 10 years before the drug makes it to market, which will suck for them because you have uh, only a certain amount of time that you can patent a drug. And let's just say it's 18 years and you wait 16 years and and it's from the time it was first synthesized I think. I think that's how that works or it's first identified. So uh now the clock starts ticking you've got 18 years. And uh let's say you wait 17 years to bring it to market for lots of different reasons. You have other drugs in the pipeline, whatever it is. It takes 17 years. Now you bring it out, you only got a year where it's actually on patent. So that kind of sucks. So um This pill, if it's going to take another 10 years, they may not have a long patent life on it. And they may just say, F it. You know, that's one of the problems with drug patent stuff. We want new drugs. We want new innovative techniques. And to do that, you know, they they have to put millions, if not billions, into some of these drugs. And, um, you know, they need to make their money back if they're going to be a commercial enterprise. The government can do these things. But then it doesn't have that same incentive to innovate. Um, There's an incentive to do good things, I guess, because that's what government's supposed to do for its people. But that crazy sort of drive to innovate isn't there without a profit motive. It's human nature. And so, love them or not, the pharmaceutical industry has brought us uh, some – of the uh, greatest advances, and their their uh, motivation has been, hey, let's make money. Um, the polymer—I don't see that as a bad thing. The polymer was developed by Professor S.K. Guha from the uh, Indian Institute of Technology in the uh, 1970s. Insert your own Andrew Dice Clay joke. Uh, ICMR has been researching on it to turn a product for mass use since 1984, and the final product is ready after exhaustive trials. So there you go. So you may see this come to market that you can uh, have a urologist inject this polymer into your vas deferens. It's got to be done exactly right to get it inside the that tube to uh, block the tube. And then uh, you'll have to beat off several times into a cup, let them look at it and make sure that uh, no sperm are, or, uh, or, you know, wiggling past this. And then apparently it breaks down after about 13 years and then you can start having kids again. So, you know, you'll have to stay vigilant, unlike a vasectomy. Usually by the time you do a vasectomy um, and they've cut chunks of your vas out and burned them and sewed them up and folded them in against each other and whatever whatever technique they happen to be using. Once you have a negative uh, sperm count, you can mostly forget about it. Now, there have been some people that have just suddenly had a failure, and uh, and they start uh, having swimmers again. But with this, since this thing can break down after 13 years, probably every five years you'll need to uh, beat off into a cup. And then do you catch it right when it happens? That's going to be a problem. So what if... You're one of these people that can break this down quickly, but there's no test to know that. And you break yours down at 11 years. You beat off in a cup at 10 years and everything was fine. But at 11, while you're waiting to do it at 15 or whatever, let's say we do it every three years. So we're going to do it at 10 and 13, but at 11, it's broken down. You can sire a kid. So you're always going to have that in the back of your head unless you are uh you know doing your own sperm counts you know right before you have intercourse with somebody it's a little bit yeah it's a little iffy this will reduce uh you know if if you did this to everybody in a population it would reduce their uh, population but it wouldn't um bring it down to zero and uh 90 and what they said 97 percent effective yeah in the first little bit but then when you know we need to see the curve is that curve a gradual curve back down to normal in other words you start at 97 percent effectiveness is it 98 you know 97 96 95 over the next bunch of years because you're in You know, at what rate does the risk of you siring a child start to rise? Or does it go 13 years and then, boom, it it drops from 99 back down to zero? That's unlikely in a natural process. But if that's how it works, then uh, you can uh, have intercourse, you know, for probably 10, 11 years before you have to start worrying about it. So it'll be interesting to see. All kinds of things out there. Um, Let's try this one and see what we've got here. Oh, nicely done. I'm going to give you all some applause. I may have done this already, too. Cigarette smoking among U.S. adults hits an all-time low. 34.2 million adults are still smoking. Many other are using uh, tobacco products. Um, It's reached an all-time low of 13.7% in 2018, a decline of approximately two-thirds in more than 50 years since the first Surgeon General's report warned of the health consequences of smoking. Yet new data released in today's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report shows that nearly one in seven U.S. adults still smoke cigarettes. Many use other, um, other tobacco products. The marked decline in cigarette smoking is the achievement of a consistent and coordinated effort by public health community and our many partners, which this show is one, said the CDC director, Robert R. Redfield, M.D., yet our work is far from over. The health benefits of quitting smoking are significant. We're committed to educating Americans about the steps they can take to become tobacco-free. So, yes, please, quit I say that at the end of every show, check your stupid n- nuts for lumps quit smoking and get off your asses and get some exercise those are the big three for me uh to assess recent national estimates of tobacco product use among u.s adults 18 or older cdc food and drug administration national cancer institute analyzed data from 2018 national health interview survey survey measures current cigarette smoking Uh, use for uh, and use for other tobacco products. So cigarettes are still the most used product. Let's see if they looked at vaping. Um, Followed by cigars, cigarillos, filtered little cigars and e-cigarettes, 3.2%. Okay, so it's not as much, you know, I. I think because we see these people walking around and emitting these giant clouds of smoke and people are more prone to smoke or, uh, you know, to vape in their car, we may be, at least I was overestimating how many people are actually using electronic cigarettes. Smokeless tobacco, 2.4%. Pipes, water pipes, or hookahs, 1%. I tried smoking a pipe. I did it for a while. It's disgusting. See, saliva gets in there and just chewing on this thing, and it's just gross. You have to clean it out. Blech. Most uh, tobacco current product users reported using combustible products. That'd be cigarettes, cigars, pipes, water pipes, or hookahs. 18% reported using two or more tobacco products. So those would be people who are smoking and dipping or chewing or whatever. E-cigarette use among adults increased from 28 to 3.2%. So that's a 0.4 percent, but um, absolute increase. But the relative increase may be much higher than that. Uh, let's ask. Let's ask Echo. Echo, what's 3.2 divided by 2.8?
0: 3.2 divided by 2.8 is 1.1429.
1: So see, that's a that's a 14 percent increase, but it's only a point for absolute, uh, increase, um, a reversal from the decline observed among adults during 2014, 2017. I wonder if after this crap that went down with, uh, e-cigarettes and the lung disease that looks now like they've nailed it down, it was pro- probably, uh, uh, vitamin E in off brand or, um, you know, uh, bootleg cartridges. And um, I got into a big Twitter thing about this. The thing is, is that people have been using e-cigarettes for many years, and then all of a sudden we have this, the, this outbreak of um, lung disease. And the question was, is this a cumulative issue showing that there's long-term problems with vaping in general, or was it an acute outbreak an acute outbreak is something different because if, if everybody's been vaping, 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 and we haven't seen this, and then all of a sudden we see it, um, and it's in the news, and several people died, and a lot of other people got sick. If if it's not a cumulative effect of vaping in general, then it is an acute outbreak, which means that there was it implies that there was a manufacturing defect. And that's indeed what we're seeing, because some of the people that got sick were young and hadn't been vaping for a long time. So it wasn't like it was some, these were all people that have been vaping for 10 years, and now we're starting to see these adverse effects kick in. It wasn't that at all. This was, um, uh, m- uh, the implication was that there was a, that there was something had changed in the vaping environment. And indeed, that seems to be the case that um, some people, I guess, vitamin e oil cheap to buy and and you could just mix it in with the other things that you're making as sort of a filler and that wasn't uh you'd think well it's a vitamin should be good for you but nope it was not good for the inside of the lining of the lungs so uh the cdc it took forever for them to nail this down this really was just an epidemiologic problem epidemiology being the uh Science of uh, disease and how it spreads and where it comes from. So the first epidemiologist was this guy that and I can't remember his name. Let me see if I can find uh, the uh, he what he did was he tracked down um, cholera to a single well in London. Let me see here okay so the 1854 broad street cholera outbreak uh, a severe outbreak of cholera that occurred in 1854 near broad street in the soho district of the city of westminster which is a delightful part of london by the way and um it's where uh, the saint Ermin's hotel is and from the saint Ermin's hotel which i highly recommend you can walk to uh, Westminster Abbey and you can walk to the bridge and uh, you can actually walk to the London Eye and uh, the uh, London Dungeon and uh, also uh, to, um, if you go out of the hotel and take a right, walk around a couple of blocks, you can go to uh, 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 the palace, which is quite awesome. So anyway, uh, Buckingham Palace and uh, tour the Queen's Muse. London is a wonderful city to visit, by the way. Um, anyway, so uh, this occurred during the 1846 to 1860 cholera pandemic that happened worldwide. The outbreak killed 616 people. Is best known for the physician John Snow. Oh, you know nothing, John Snow. His study <laughs> of its causes and his hypothesis that uh germ contaminated water was the source of cholera rather than particles in the air which at that time was referred to as miasmata and um he was trying to debunk that theory so really john snow was the first uh world's first epidemiologist the discovery came to influence public health and the construction of improved sanitation facilities excellent beginning in the mid 19th century later the term focus of infection started to be used to describe sites such as the broad street pump in which conditions are good for transmission of an infection snow's endeavor to find the cause of the transmission of cholera caused him to unknowingly create a double blind experiment this guy was awesome george R. R. martin uh, picked the wrong name for somebody who doesn't know stuff If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Game of Thrones. Um, Yeah, let's. uh, So preceding the 1854 Broad Street cholera outbreak, physicians and scientists held two competing theories on the causes of cholera in the human body, the miasma theory and germ theory. The London medical community debated between these causes, the persistent cholera outbreaks in the city cholera-causing bacterium Vibrio cholerae was isolated in 1854 but the finding did not become well known and accepted until decades later boy it was really tough back then people just had opinions and they stuck with them oh so different than today right yeah people are really easy uh, these days to convince using scientific evidence that their position is incorrect The miasma theory, miasma theorists concluded that cholera was caused by particles in the air, or miasmata, which arose from decomposing matter or other dirty organic sources. At least then, yeah, okay, so clean up dead bodies and stuff. That's good. Miasma particles were thought to travel through the air and infect individuals and thus cause cholera. So they had two competing hypotheses. When you have that, you test them. That's the easiest way to do it. Let's see what that, what kind of testing they did. Dr. William Farr, the commissioner for the 1851 London consensus uh, census, and a member of the General Registrar's Office, believed that miasma arose from the soil surrounding the River Thames. It, it contained decaying organic matter, which contained miasmatic particles and was released into the London air. Miasma theorists believed in cleansing and scouring rather than through pure scientific approach of microbiology. So, yeah, so this is what you do. You, um, uh, you can expose uh, – uh, a sort of evil experiment would be to expose people to this miasma and see if they got sick and then expose people to Vibrio cholera, if you were one of those proponents, and see which ones got sick. Or you can clean up your uh, miasma and see if people get sick, but let them drink the same water or uh, clean up the water and see if they get better. You know, if the, if the number of, uh, uh cases decrease, what, uh, uh, This far dude later had to agree with Snow's germ therapy theory following his publication. So in contrast, the germ theory held that the principal cause of cholera was a germ cell that had not yet been identified. This was the problem with HIV as well. I remember there were people that said, oh, there's no way a virus could cause HIV or AIDS. Uh, We didn't have HIV at the time. And, uh, but they were looking for a particle. Same thing with hepatitis C. Hepatitis C was called hepatitis non-A, non-B, because it wasn't hepatitis A and it wasn't hepatitis B, but they didn't know what the hell it was. It took quite some time to find the actual virus that caused hepatitis uh, C. Uh, Snow theorized that this unknown germ was transmitted from person to person by inv- individuals ingesting water. John Simon, a pathologist and the lead medical officer for the London uh, labeled Snow's germ therapy as peculiar. <laughs> yeah, you dumb bastard. Uh, this doctrine, the do- okay, this is an excerpt from John Simon. The doctrine is that cholera propagates itself by a morbid matter which passing from one patient in his evacuations is accidentally swallowed by other persons. Yeah, it's called fecal-oral transmission genius. As a pollution of food or water, that an increase of the swallowed germ of the disease takes place in the interior of the stomach and the bowels, giving rise to the essential actions of cholera. And as a first local derangement that the morbid matter of cholera having the property of reproducing its own kind must necessarily have some sort of structure, most likely that of a cell. Even though Simon understood Snow's theory, the, he he questioned its relation to the cause of cholera. No, he, he stated it perfectly. He just didn't believe in it. So that's fine. You don't have to believe something if there isn't proof. So what John Snow did was... Um, Uh, uh, Snow's conclusions were not predominantly based on the Broad Street outbreak. As he noted, he hesitated to come to a conclusion based on a population that predominantly fled the neighborhood and redistributed itself. He feared throwing off results of the study. So from a mathematics perspective, John Snow's innovation was focusing on death rates in districts served by two water companies, which drew water from the River Thames. Rather than basing it on data from victims of the Broad Street pump, which drew water from a well, Snow's work also led to far greater health and safety impacts. So what he did was he applied mathematics and science, and he plotted out where all these things were and found the epicenter. Uh, and and what was common? Well, you know what was the common thing? He he did an epi- epidemiologic uh, uh, intervention where he. Asked people where did you get your water? What did you eat? What did you do? What have you been doing? Where you know? Uh, uh, and uh, tried to compile enough data to make a conclusion. It said Snow was skeptical of prevailing miasma therapy, which held that diseases such as cholera, black death, were caused by pollution. Yeah, because you know they had plague too, which we now know was caused by um, Yersinia pestis which is transmitted from fleas that are on rats. So if you've got rat-infested area and they've got fleas that have this, and the fleas get on you and bite you, and then you could get uh, bubonic plague. We still have bubonic plague. There are plague cases in the United States every day. We just call it plague because it's the same disease that they had back then when it was actually a plague uh, but it doesn't cause plague now because we know what it is and we can treat it. So, uh, but we'll still call it plague, uh, but it does not cause a plague, meaning, you know, this sort of overwhelming pandemic or, or massive epidemic. Um, let's see, let me see. Uh yeah, yeah. Anyway. All right. This goes on and on and on, but, uh, John Snow, the father of modern epidemiology. And um, there you go. So I can't remember why we talked about this. (laughs) I found a shiny object and I followed it. Oh, yeah, we were talking about cigarettes and uh, epidemiology um, of um, smokeless tobacco and, and vapes. But anyway... Uh, this sustained drop in adult smoking is encouraging as we work to reduce tobacco-related disease and death. And so what we're doing is by gradually decreasing smoking, we're giving the tobacco companies plenty of time to divest themselves of tobacco and uh, to uh, uh, broaden their their uh, product base so they can stay in business, get into making crackers and other kinds of stuff like that. So, all right, Good. Nicely done. Thank you all for uh, giving up the smokes. I used to smoke three packs a day. If I can quit, you can quit. Just do it today. And if you don't want to quit today, talk to your healthcare provider. Chantix is an option, although crazy dreams and wackiness are so prevalent with that uh, medication that uh, the FAA forbids pilots from taking it. But... Um, you can uh, do it yourself. I did it myself. I had some pharmacologic help in the form of um, Zyban. Was it Zyban? Yeah. Which is just basically Welbutrin or Bupropion. It's an antidepressant. Works on a different mechanism than regular antidepressants. And it does help to suppress that uh, addiction. Uh, the you know that addiction response and the thing I liked about it was I just felt like I was taking something I, I think I got a significant placebo effect out of it, and so I uh, laid them down. I started taking the the uh, Wellbutrin. But a week later, I laid them down and I never went back. And I had tried to quit at least dozens of times. Studies have shown the more times you try to quit, the more likely it is you'll be successful to quit. So don't just, if you tried it once and failed. It's not a failure. You were just practicing. Just try it again. And um, uh, I would get six weeks in, and then my wife would piss me off. and I go, Well, by God, I'm just going to smoke a cigarette. I'll show her. Well, I wasn't showing anybody. I was just, that was the lizard part of my brain that controls addiction saying, No, you need to smoke. And um, any excuse. So, six weeks you're vulnerable six months you're vulnerable and you know three years you're also vulnerable at any time particularly at six months you go well i've got this thing beat i could just have one you can't yeah let me just have one cigarette i've got it beat i could just have a cigarette you can't if you have one now it's all of a sudden it's okay and then you're smoking again i still have nightmares. Uh, after 20 plus years of quitting smoking that uh, where i smoke a whole pack of cigarettes in this dream and i'll think well wait a minute i forgot oh geez i don't smoke anymore and now i'm i feel like I'm addicted to cigarettes again and i wake up in kind of a cold sweat going thank god i didn't actually do that um, the craving i never crave cigarettes anymore i still like the smell of a fresh cigarette it's just Years of ingrained habit of smelling them. I like the, I despise the smell of old cigarettes though. And I can't believe I used to smell that way and allowed myself to smell that way. So if you quit today, you can immediately look at all those idiots out in the cold outside smoking because they can't smoke inside anymore and say, What a bunch of idiots, and feel superior to them. That's one benefit. You can feel superior the next day. All right. Quit smoking. All right. Let's uh, take some questions. You ready to take some questions?
0: Hi, Dr. Steve. It's Luke from London, England. I was hoping you could do a recap on the one-page baby manual. It's been a while since you mentioned it on the air, and me and my partner are due to have a baby, a boy, on the 22nd of December. It'll be our first baby, and we'd really like to get him to sleep through the night as soon as possible. If you could go through it, that'd be great. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks.
1: Yeah man, thank you. Um the one page baby manual. Yes, I haven't mentioned that in quite some time. You can go to uh drsteve.com or weirdmedicine.com, I think, or weirdmedicine.net. Um let me heck, now I'm confused. Is it weirdmedicine.com? Weirdmedicine.com just in case I decide to sell drsteve.com. So I'm, I keep hoping that some Dr. Steve will become famous so I could sell them that domain. Yeah, weirdmedicine.com will work. And then if you go there, there's a little box in the upper right corner that says Resources. And uh, second from the bottom is the one-page baby manual. And uh, it's grown to about a page and a half now, but it's one page on the Internet. And it gives you a sample schedule starting from birth to to six weeks, six weeks to uh, ten weeks, and then uh, four months, five months, six months, and then to a year. And then it also has a um, synopsis of The Happiest Baby on the Block, which is a um, a, a 200-page book that I distilled down to one paragraph. and this guy carp had a really good idea and uh that babies are born 3 months too soon that they need an extra trimester to develop and so um when they when they're born they're used to being in the womb in that warm wonderful environment and uh we need to simulate that for the first 3 months and that will calm them down when they get all fussy and weird it's because they're they're used to uh uh, to being in the uh, uterus, and they really kind of are craving that back to the womb thing. So by swaddling them and laying the body out, or the the baby on their side and shushing in their ear to simulate the sound of blood rushing through the aorta past the uterus or the iliac arteries at least, because you know inside the body you don't hear lub dub you hear shh shh. As blood rushes by and uh, uh, swinging the baby uh, uh, on your lap, you know, just back and forth and letting them suck on something you in the in utero, they'll suck on their thumb. You, that's this is the one time a pacifier is OK. I'm cool with the pacifier for the first three months. After that, you got to get rid of it. But uh, all those things will calm almost every baby down. You've got to learn to swaddle that baby. So one of the greatest things you can give a um, new parent is a pack of swaddling blankets because they'll run through them and uh, learning how to do that properly. And, it, you know, it kind of binds the, the baby's body, and they just feel much more comfortable. And that's that gives them that fourth trimester if you do that for the first three months. And then after that, just use uh, go to babyinabag.com and get sleep sacks those are wearable blankets if you want if you value sleeping at night uh, when your kid kicks their blanket off and they're too uncoordinated at 4 months to pull it back up they get cold and they'll cry you know, that's all they really want is for you to put their blanket back on well you get, get them a wearable blanket and that's also a great baby gift babyinablanket.com, or babyinabag.com aka the wearable blanket and they've got winter versions and summer versions. We're not, you know, and they're not an advertiser. I just, uh, anytime somebody's having a baby, I'll give them one of those. All right, let's see what else we got here. And and congratulations on the baby and good luck. Let us know how. Hey it goes. everybody, this is Foggy
0: Otis. I went over twenty years without seeing a doctor or a dentist, and uh, by the time I was forty-two years old, I paid for that neglect and denial led me to congestive heart failure, a quadruple bypass, dying in the ICU, having a defibrillator pacemaker implanted in my chest, losing my teeth, injecting insulin four times a day, constant blood glucose monitoring. Side effects from my meds, the ones that keep me alive, include fatigue, hot flashes, cold chills, and stomach problems. Practically all of this... Was entirely preventable with routine medical care. So don't wait until it's too late. Go see a doctor now, and Doctor Steve knows all the details about my medical history. So do I. Feel free to ask. <laughs> okay.
1: No, Foggy, uh, that's Foggy Otis. Everybody, um, this guy, uh, I think this is the real, the real dude. Uh, check him out on uh, YouTube. Let's see, uh, Foggy Otis plays the Grateful Dead. Let's check this out. I probably can't play too much of this because of um issues with down,
0: way down down, down by the docks of the city d-
1: yeah, so he uh does is reimagining the music of the Grateful Dead. For solo ukulele, that's that's a heck of a niche right there. Let's see. Um, he did uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I want to hear this. Let me see. Greatest pop single of all time arranged for ukulele and voice. It is. <laughs> that's it. Whoever was recording this was whispering close to the microphone. That's pretty cool. Let's jump ahead. Check this out. Go, Foggy Otis. It's just Foggy Otis, Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Too late. My time has come. Since shivers down my spine. That's pretty cool,
1: actually. I kinda like this. Um let me uh let me jump ahead to the to the quote unquote good part. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyway, check out Foggy Otis. Thanks for calling in Foggy. And uh no really the the thing that I like about what he said was um Men, particularly, but I see this in women too, will bury our heads in the sand, and it's a pain in the ass to go to the doctor sometimes, literally. Um, but uh, you don't want to neglect warning signs because when you do that, you, we all know. Look, if you've got a leak in your um, an oil leak in your car, catching it early. And fixing it can prevent a catastrophic failure of your automobile, right? I mean, we all know this. Catching a colon polyp when you're 50 and you have your first colonoscopy, when it's just in the polyp stage, it's, they, they remove it during the colonoscopy. You're done. You don't have to do anything else. If you wait until now you've got an obstructed bowel or you're bleeding and you have it and you've got a full-blown invasive cancer, now, you know, it, it, all of a sudden it's a, it's a problem. So uh, early uh, detection, prevention is key to living a long and healthy life and quitting smoking and if you're young, checking your stupid nuts for lumps. All right. Very good. I uh, got some good feedback on the Dave Cecil thing. Um, we're uh, still working on that track. When we have a completed track, I will play it for both uh, SiriusXM and podcast audience, so stay tuned for that. Um, Dave is an incredible uh, song singer-songwriter, and if you want to check him out right now, let me see if you just do uh, Dave Cecil weird medicine let me try that and see if it comes up dave cecil weird medicine um yeah and then the first one is is dave ray cecil live oh and that's the uh that's the episode okay and then um okay what you want to do is find it on youtube (laughs) So let's try that again youtube youtube.com. Sorry, I know this is very unprofessional to do it this way it? um you know what? Just go to my go to uh, Dr. Steve youtube.com. That's, that's not helpful either. I'll put a link on drsteve.com to the uh, YouTube video where Dave Cecil was in the studio. And you could just click on the links and listen to the songs. Okay. Um, I, you know, it's like being in court. You never want to ask a question you don't know the answer to. And don't do a damn YouTube search on, on your stupid show if you don't know what you're going to find. Anyway. All right. Let's see here. Let's take a couple of uh, other phone calls before we get out of here. Hey,
0: Dr. Physics Steve, it's Calvin. And when we look at a flower, the white light from the sun shines down onto the flower, and then the flower absorbs all the colors except for, let's say, yellow. And then the yellow reflects back into our eyes, where our rods and cones in our human eye uh, absorb that reflected light and then we see the flower as yellow right is there some way that we can look at the world and see what the actual world looks like instead of just the reflected light into our eyes let's say uh, even into the ultraviolet or infrared uh, included in there instead of just what the human eye perceives is there some way to see The actual colors of stuff,
1: the actual colors of stuff. I love this question. It's a philosophical question. So what is the actual color of a red apple? The answer is there is no actual color. There are just wavelengths of light. That's all it is there. You know, uh, light is in the electromagnetic spectrum, just like radio waves, microwaves, ultraviolet, gamma rays. Um, You know, gamma rays, not cosmic rays, but gamma rays are merely very highly energetic electromagnetic uh, waves or particles, depending on what you're measuring at the time. Therefore, they're all the same. They're on a continuum. So if you start at... Like, you know, a, a ham radio frequency could be at um, 160 meters. It could be 100 or, or 40, 40 meters. It could be 40 meters long, whereas a light wave can is, um, you know, measured in angstroms, so, uh, which is, you know, nanometers. And the, the higher the frequency, the more energetic the wave is. So, you know, ham radio frequencies is like two meters, very low energy, but a gamma ray being very high frequency is, um, uh, you know, very high energy. Microwaves are in the gigahertz range. So anyway, so our eyes are just able to perceive these different wavelengths of light and if you've looked at a rainbow you can see the different wavelengths appear in our heads as um as different colors so we have the ability to differentiate wavelengths and then the brain interprets those as colors now you've got some people are colorblind they see they can't see red or green and but the world to them is you know it has these funny shades of gray and it's hard to explain how it looks you can look on in on YouTube and say well what does it look like to be colorblind but even to them it just looks normal dogs don't see color at all you know uh, so they everything to them would be to us black and white but that's just normal to them that's how the they perceive the universe you could have some creatures that grow up on a say a planet where there's red you know it's a they have a red dwarf as a sun. And they may have larger pupils and may be able to see into infrared. And they would be able to see things uh, reflected that we wouldn't necessarily see. How would they perceive that? Well, it might be as the color red. What I see as red, you might agree, is purple. The only way that we would know. Uh, that that was the case would be somehow if we could switch brains for a minute and i would see how you perceive red and how i perceive red probably that's not the case but there may be some subtle differences there certainly are people that can detect uh different shades of color that other people can't And is it training or do they just have um, a more finely attuned visual cortex so that they can pick out those different colors It's like sound. Sound are just compressions of air molecules. That's all it is. That leads to that whole thing. If, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, it certainly vibrates the air around it, but it's only sound if we perceive it as sound. Otherwise, it's just vibrations of molecules. And uh, the color red is merely, uh, let's see, let's see, the wavelength, wavelength. Of red light. Let's see, I could have asked Echo that, but so the wavelength of red light six hundred and eighty nanometers. So that if you have a, um, a an electromagnetic wave that hits your retina and it's six hundred and eighty nanometers, it will um, stimulate the cells in the back of the retina that respond to 680 nanometers and that tells the brain that that's red light. And um you know look at a rainbow and next time you look at one you can think about how all those different colors are stimulating different receptors in your eye and are being perceived as those colors. So there is no real there is no reality other than our perception. There are waves and there are particles and you know even the particles that we experience are just um perturbations of fields that permeate the whole universe there's an electron field there's um you know up quark field all these f- different fields interact and when they interact we we perceive those as particles and those particles interact with each other and that creates the natural world around us so you know the re- the reality around you depends purely on your perspective and your perception of same which is pretty damn cool when you think about it so enough pot talk i'm recording this at eight in the morning so not a great time for pot talk but i'd love more pot talk questions love to talk about this stuff well let's take another one let's see see what we got here Dr. Steve, I've got a question about blue balls. I was wondering why it hurts so bad. Uh, sometimes in the morning I'll kiss my girlfriend goodbye and I'll get the old half crank in my pants and my uh, my balls, you know, ache. Uh, not like, you know, when I was a teenager, but um, is there any mechanism why that hurts so much? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're cranking, you're nuts. They hurt because they're on the outside and they're supposed to be on the inside. I mean, it really, nuts are just ovaries that produce sperm instead of eggs. And uh, they need to be about three degrees below body temperature for whatever reason. So they got to hang outside the body and their organs, and they need to be inside the body. And so um, when you when you hit them on something, it you have this visceral pain. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's a it's a different kind of pain. We all know that. Uh, men who have gotten kicked in the nuts causes sort of uh, uh, emesis feeling or nausea. And it's just sort of a deep, uh, horrible pain. But uh, blue balls is a different thing altogether. That's prostatic congestion. So congestion of the prostate is... Um, Caused by um, often sexual stimulation, and uh, the prostate starts getting ready to uh, inject fluid into this sort of mixer. So you've got fluid from the prostate, which is sort of milky and and uh, clear, and then you get seminal fluid, which is uh, not milky and clear. I I meant milky and watery. And then you have seminal fluid, which is a little more gel-like, and then that mixes with the two percent of the sperm that comes from the vas deferens, and uh, you put it through this sort of blender, and um, when it comes out as semen, and so the the um, prostate is gearing up for that when you get a little sexual stimulation, and uh, you know there's uh, fluid will just be generated in that area. Uh, You know, capillaries open up and uh, hyperfiltrated water and other proteins cross from the bloodstream into the prostate and sort of fill it up. And then you don't do anything with it. You don't ejaculate. And uh, that prostatic congestion that we feel, uh, we perceive it as what we call blue balls, which is just sort of an achy feeling. And if you uh, uh, beat off and, uh, uh, or otherwise ejaculate, either through prostatic massage, which is not re- truly an ejaculation, when, you, when a, a primary care or a urologist massages your prostate and fluid is um, ejected from the end of your penis, it's not truly an ejaculation. It's just hydrostatic forces where fluid follows the um, path of least resistance. But a, a true ejaculation where you have contraction of the pelvic muscles and that sort of rhythmic thing and that feeling of emptying out and then you get that pleasurable feeling, uh, that, will, that will relieve the symptoms of blue balls. If you just do nothing, the symptoms of blue balls will also go away pretty quickly. But anyway, uh, thanks always go to our... Uh, Listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. We can't forget Rob Sprance, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharski, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and Fez Wally, whose early support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Big shout out to uh, Rob Bartlett, who was awesome on uh, Compound Media this week. And um, I always love seeing that guy. What a great guy he is. Uh, uh, check him out at, at the Rob, the TheRobio, R-O-B-I-O, T-H-E-R-O-B-I-O on Twitter. Listen to our SiriusXM show on Faction Talk Channel, SiriusXM Channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other time at Jim McClure's Pleasure. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.